Welcome to the Candida Chronicles with our host, Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. In this podcast, Michael will answer your questions and reveal the shocking truth that the cause of most chronic ailments is not what you've been told. The source is Candida, a yeast overgrowth which, when it becomes systemic, can cause all sorts of seemingly unrelated ailments such as chronic fatigue syndrome and even weight gain. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330. And now, without further ado, Michael Biamonte. And hello again, everyone. This is Michael Biamonte, clinical nutritionist, here for the Candida Chronicles podcast. I first would like to reference today's podcast by referring to uh, several earlier ones that I think anyone listening to this podcast today should also review. The earlier podcasts can be found on the website, health-truth.com. Uh, these uh, earlier ones would be number 19, which is called Candida and Hormones, and number 16, uh, Candida's Effect on Adrenal Thyroid Function. There's uh, most likely other data if you go into all the podcasts on the subject today, but in particular, I'd like to reference those two as additional information for what we'll be discussing today. And what we're going to discuss today is is a very important uh, issue, more important than most when it regards candida. For years, I have been asked by patients and people generally, uh, how do you stay free of candida once you achieve this? And I think most people feel and fear that they must stay on the candida diet in order to achieve this, which is totally not true. The reason why people believe they need to stay on the candida diet in order to be free of candida is because they have never fully gotten rid of their candida and they've experienced relapse in candida symptoms when they've gone off the diet. This is because they still had candida, they were keeping it under control via the diet And when they went off the diet, they flared it up again. Uh, This is a very common concept, which you can hear me speak uh, speak about in the earlier podcasts, where I talk about the the fact that many people who believe they've handled their candida actually never have. They don't have any type of an objective test, biochemical test, that is, be it urine, blood, saliva, whatever, to actually show them that their candida is gone. So they assume it's gone based on their symptoms improving, only to find out that once they go off the diet, all the symptoms return again. This is because it truly was not fully gone and the probiotics did not fully replace the candida. This is not what we're talking about today. We're talking today about legitimate cases, uh, and I'm going to unfortunately need to reference my own program, since I don't know of any other program which is equally or at least in the ballpark as successful, 
I will say that patients who've completed my program, who I was able to definitely substantiate that their candida was gone using the testing that I rely upon, how do these people stay candida-free? Why do these people relapse from, with candida at times? So if we have a legitimate case, someone who's completed the Biamonte Method Candida program, it's been validated that their candida is gone by the testing. What's going to keep these people candida free? What is the most important aspect? These are the questions typically we're asked. Diet, I've just spoke of, diet is not the answer. Because if your candida is truly gone, diet is not going to make a major impact the way it will as, as when the candida is present. Uh, a person who's newly gotten rid of their candida and who has their friendly flora properly affixed in the intestinal tract is not going to reacquire candida quickly by being off the diet. That simply is not going to happen unless there's something unique in their case that's not typically what you would expect. Probiotics. Well, once probiotics have established themselves in the intestinal tract, there is not the need to replenish them the way it's thought of in the industry. The probiotic industry would love to have you think that you need to take probiotics like you would need vitamin C, that probiotics are water-soluble, so to speak, like vitamin C is, and you need to constantly replenish them. Well, this is totally not true. If that was the case, the majority of the people on this planet would constantly have all types of gastrointestinal disease because people are not constantly replenishing their probiotics. It is true that in cultures where people live longer, taking foods like yogurt and kefir that are high in probiotics is uh, part of their lifestyle and it does help to replenish their probiotics and that's better than not. But again, this is not the key. You don't need to take probiotics in the fashion of vitamin C. Once you reestablish your probiotics, they'll be reasonably good providing you don't take antibiotics and take crazy things. So then what is the answer? Well, I think I've kept you in suspense long enough. Statistically, in my practice, we have seen thousands of candida patients over the years. And in doing a review, of their records, there is one common denominator that we found that exceeds all others. It's not toxic metal poisoning with mercury or copper. It's not leaky gut syndrome. It's not Epstein-Barr virus. It's not probiotic. It's not diet. It boils down to the one key thing, which is adrenal function or adrenal dysfunction for that matter. The one thing that you can be guaranteed of in a patient who has chronic candidiasis is that they're suffering with adrenal exhaustion, hypoadrenia, adrenal fatigue, whatever we want to call it. In, in our health food industry here, or, or natural health industry, we've had many names for this condition. Technically, in the medical field, Hypoadrenia, hypoadrenia cortisism are various terms to indicate adrenal exhaustion 
uh, on the street we know it as burnout. Typically in the medical office it would be called adrenal exhaustion. This is the common denominator in all candida patients. Adrenal exhaustion, adrenal fatigue is more common in candida patients than leaky gut syndrome is. And it is the main variable, let's say, that needs to be addressed to keep the person candida free. And it's actually a pivotal point in the candida treatment in order to get the person over the top. Because when you reach the point when the person's probiotics are properly affixed to the intestinal tract and seemingly everything is okay, where the majority of their symptoms may still lie, that will confuse both the patient and the practitioner as to the relevance of whether or not they really have gotten rid of their candida, will be the adrenal function. Many of the symptoms that the candida patient has are from their exhausted adrenals and not the candida itself. The candida wears at your adrenals, which we'll go over, and as the candida wears at your adrenals and your adrenals become fatigued, you manifest symptoms which are part of the candida complex. There are many symptoms that, that one with chronic candida has that actually is not from the candida directly itself, but is from adrenal exhaustion. When you get the person over the candida and you get their probiotics affixed again to the intestinal tract, the one thing that will prevent them from feeling truly well will be their adrenal function. A person who is now candida-free, who has their probiotics corrected, their digestion improved, everything is seemingly okay, could feel better to the degree that you've improved his adrenal function. And adrenal function is also pivotal in getting the person up and out so that they do not fall prey to the candida again. The reason for this, it can be technical, I will give it to you from a, a, a more understandable uh, term, terminology. The adrenal glands are responsible for the innervation, which would mean stimulation, of the immune system through the sympathetic branch of the nervous system. In the sympathetic nervous system, we have various endocrine glands one of them happens to be the adrenals, and there is an adrenal-mediated immune response. When thinking of the immune system, most people think of the thymus gland, the spleen, and the lymphatic system. To some degree, also the liver. What is very uh, overlooked is the adrenal-mediated immune response. The adrenals are a major part of your immune system. This is why when you study uh, the symptoms of people with adrenal exhaustion, one of the first ones that you see is poor resistance to colds, flus, and infections. You find that the person with adrenal exhaustion constantly picks up everything and, that's around and comes down with uh, flus and influenzas and whatnot very often. So therefore, it's far easier for the person with poor adrenal function to relapse with the candida uh, as, as it would be any other illness for that matter, whether it's influenza or cold or whatever other illness. 
So in two ways, this is very important. It's important in answering our first and absolute question of how do you stay candida-free once you've achieved this? The answer is to have strong adrenal glands. The other is, what is the difference in the quality of improvement the, the person feels when they are candida-free versus another, let's say, who may feel better? Well, that's adrenal function. So to the degree that your adrenals are functioning well is to the degree that you will realize the improvement in symptoms that you desire when you clear your candida up. If you have horrible adrenal function and you clear up your candida, you may not feel that much better. You may have now an absence of certain itching in the body or skin rashes or bloating or gas. But as far as having mental clarity, as far as having energy, increased endurance, increased stamina, increased ability to handle stress, um, having your sleep cycle correct once again, having a libido once again, these things may not occur despite having eliminated candida if your adrenal function is poor. Now, typically, a person with candida will have the candida initially cause stress and inflammation in the body. One of the things that the mycotoxins, the different alcohols and all the different toxins that the candida releases in your system will do will be essentially to create oxidative stress and inflammation in the body. The body's response to this is typically to elevate your cortisol level. Here's where you find the typical candida patient with elevated cortisol. This I would consider to be early in their illness. Typically a patient with candida who has high cortisol is in the earlier stages of, the, of their illness. Um, following Hans Selye's work on um, the different stages of stress and adaptation of stress, you'll find that to be more in the alarm stage of Selye's uh, chart. If, you're, if you were looking, happen to be looking at one of his charts that covers all the different stages of stress, the candida patient with high cortisol is typically in the alarm stage of stress. As the candida continues to ravage the body, the cortisol eventually will start winding its way down and the cortisol will then become low. And here is where the person now could be dubbed chronic fatigue. Uh, this is where they then have really a drop, a chronic drop in their energy. And this is the chronic stage of candidiasis. I would say that a person with candidiasis who can have elevated cortisol is still in the early stages of the illness. Once the cortisol crashes, you now have a person who's in the latter stages of the illness and they have this now complete exhaustion. This is what you want to dig the person out of because here is, it's very important to restore the adrenal function so that the person not only feels better from the, that aspect, if you're looking, um, let's say, at a pie not literally, but if you're looking at it like a, a pie, meaning uh, something that measures volume or, or a graph-like construction, the candida symptoms could be, let's say, just arbitrarily, 
half of the pie. And the other half of the pie would be adrenal symptoms that are related to the candida illness. So we could say that a person with candida may have half the symptoms relate to the candida itself and the other half of their symptoms, which are completely associated with chronic candida, are coming from their adrenal dysfunction that they have acquired as a result of having candida. <laughs> so by the time the person completes the candida program, if their adrenals have not come back or bounced back, they may only feel half as well as they potentially could. The adrenal glands are a very interesting gland in the body. Um, I've been a nutritionist in practice professionally since 1984. And in that time, I can tell you that one of the most common uh, modalities that come, uh, maladies that would come up on any type of testing or in the person's history in any regard is usually adrenal. And that's something that's very often overlooked, of course, by mainstream medicine because mainstream medicine is more interested in pathology. So unless the person has some type of adrenal illness, which they can measure by, by their standards, and it could be deemed a disease, they're not interested in that. Um, but in the sort of the nutrition alternative medicine world, having poor and inadequate adrenal function is very, very common to the point where the companies that cater to doctors, chiropractors, naturopaths, massage therapists, nutritionists, on and on, make a whole array, a very wide array of adrenal supplementation, uh, be it nutritional, where it's vitamins, amino acids, minerals, or herbal, homeopathic, or combinations of all of these is one of the top-selling items that exist in the natural health field. And the adrenal supplements didn't become top-selling items for no reason. It's because there is a tremendous demand. And you see the demand very, very, very obviously in the candida patient. This is why the third phase of the Biamonte program for candida elimination mostly concentrates on adrenal. Uh, typically, in the third phase of our treatment, we're not so interested in the candida anymore directly because we've eliminated the candida in the lower phases. We've replenished the person's probiotics in phase two. So by the time we get to phase three, we're more concerned with now correcting the damage that the candida has created. And with the exception of handling toxic metals as perhaps the very first thing we would do in phase three, handling the adrenals is the most common and the most frequent thing that would be addressed in phase three. Now, adrenal glands are located over your kidneys. You have two adrenal glands. They sit on top of your kidneys and they do control electrolytes and they do influence and tell your kidneys what to do in terms of balancing fluid and electrolytes in the body. The adrenal glands, as most of us know, are essentially the stress or shock absorbers in the body. The adrenal glands produce various hormones and neurotransmitters which help 
us deal with stress. Adrenaline, the most well-known, is known as the fight-or-flight mechanism. When you have some severe stress or severe encounter with the stressful situation, the body makes adrenaline for you to cope with that. Typically, this would be looked upon in primitive times as your escape juice, let's say. Person's walking in the jungle, they see some type of wild animal, let's say it's a bear, the bear starts to run after them, they get a surge of adrenaline, the adrenaline increases their heartbeat, increases their blood pressure, increases the glucose uptake into their cells to produce more energy. They run, run up a tree perhaps, at record speed to avoid the bear. After 20 or 30 minutes, the bear becomes disinterested, he leaves. By that time, the person's adrenaline rushes over. They climb down from the tree and they leave. This was stress hundreds of years ago. That was most likely the primary form of stress hundreds of years ago. The second form of adrenaline has often been referred to, or I should say cortisol, uh, has often been referred to as the second type of adrenaline. Although this is not chemically true, it's functionally true. Cortisol is released when you're under stress from the viewpoint of more slowly adapting to the stress. Not to get the big surge to the, for the fight or flight mechanism. But once again, it, in, uh, in nature, it's not expected that cortisol would need to be released for long periods of time. It would be just for the duration of the stress. But stress is much different nowadays than it was 100 or 200 years ago. 100 to 200 years ago, you had stress in terms of the, the animal that I was just uh, creating in this fictional scene. Or you had stress in terms of perhaps taking a long journey in bad weather or in having some type of a siege that you were fighting against. These are conditions easily that would elevate your cortisol temporarily. I don't think the creator envisioned necessarily that we'd have periods of time where our cortisol was constantly elevated. Um, we have situations where the person opens their mail and they have bills, bill collectors. They have the IRS. They listen to their phone messages. They have people with troubles calling them. They turn on the television. They have political debates. They have terrorism. Person has stress all around him constantly. And this causes cortisol to elevate and remain elevated above what would be considered natural. If we didn't have mail, if we didn't have the television, the radio, telephones, whatnot, the amount of stress that we would be subjected to would be much less because the speed of communication would be less. It's unfortunate that these things affect the body in the manner they do, where they cause the cortisol to elevate. The longer cortisol remains elevated, the more of a chance there is that the adrenals are going to eventually exhaust because they can't continue to put out the cortisol 
in this manner. The machine simply wasn't made to do that. So the cortisol and the gland eventually exhausts, and that leaves you then in the position that many people are familiar with in terms of how they feel, where they are burned out, let's say, or exhausted. In the case of a candida patient, he achieves this without even having to have this stress because he has an internal stress producer, which is the candida. The candida in his own body creates the same situation. So you can imagine how he must feel when you then add all the stresses of, of life, of everyday life, to his schedule. He already has enough stress with having candida in his body. So now he's subjected to all these other forms of stress. No wonder his adrenals exhaust. And because the adrenals exhaust, the person has a greater susceptibility to relapsing with candida. Because when we say the adrenals exhaust, it's functionally the same thing as saying the immune system exhausts. That's an important point to take away from in listening to this podcast is you can equate the adrenal function with the immune system directly. So if the patient has exhausted adrenals, they have an exhausted immune system, and their immune system itself will improve to the degree that their adrenals improve. And as I stated earlier, many of their symptoms will improve to the degree that the adrenals improve. So what do we do at this point? Like I said, I've given you all the problems, the theoretical problems. Well, what do you actually do to handle this? Well, there are certain rudimentary things in dealing with life and the adrenal glands that are essential. First thing that's essential to proper adrenal function is diet and particularly protein and fat. Uh, Protein and fats Good fats, of course, are foods and nutrition which are beneficial to the adrenals and help stabilize them. What's very bad for the adrenals is sugar. Because sugar causes the release of insulin, which then prompts the release of glycogen and other hormones, it's a problem. So the more sugar somebody consumes, the more apt they're going to be to have their adrenal function bouncing all over the place. That's a big stress on the adrenals because they don't have to make unnecessary hormones to try to control the blood sugar from the abnormal swings they're getting from consuming sugar. So this is a bad thing. Sleep is another factor, probably one of the most important ones, next to having the proper diet. And really, when it comes to the adrenals, again, I want to just clarify that the proper diet for the adrenal glands is more the absence of sugar than it is anything else. Sleep, though, is very essential to restore the adrenals. Um, Generally speaking, most practitioners have recommended that someone go to bed about uh, 7 or 8 o'clock, maybe between 7 and 9, and then wake up with the sun, the sunrise. This has been a typical prescription for trying to restore adrenal function. Some others have shortened this down to just simply going to bed when you're tired and waking up when you feel that you no longer need sleep. 
So that's, this is one way to view it. There are certain complications that can occur in this which make this unworkable. The first complication is people with <laughs> exhausted adrenals typically have restless sleep and fitful sleep. That's often due to the fact they're not making enough melatonin anymore. So that's something in a, in a case that you would have to specifically test for and then treat if that had been the case. But as far as this goes, we'll just say rest and sleep is essential to restore adrenal function. You're not going to restore your adrenal function if you're out clubbing every night. That's just not going to happen. Uh, next issue is the avoidance of stimulants. Many, many people in our society have exhausted adrenals due to abuse of stimulants. Children who are taking Ritalin at a young age often grow up into their teens and early adulthood with exhausted adrenals from having taken the Ritalin. And this, this is also could be true of simply people who drink a lot of coffee. Eventually, excessive amount of coffee will burn out their adrenal glands. So the use of any stimulant, whether it's prescribed, legal, a food stuff or not, or illegal for that matter, can burn out your adrenal glands. And to restore your adrenal function, avoiding the stimulant is essential. There are certain nutrients which are very important for the adrenals. The most important vitamin for the adrenal glands is pentothenic acid, which is vitamin B5. At the Biamonte Center, we often have people take 500 milligrams of pentothenic acid every hour that they're awake for three days, and thereafter reduce it to 500 milligrams per meal as a way of restoring adrenal function. Vitamin C is one of the most abundant vitamins in the adrenal glands because again vitamin C is important for the hormone production from the adrenals. Back in the early early days of Columbus when the uh, let's say these Columbus's people first came here to the New World and they met up with the American Indians and they described to the Indians the difficulties they were having with scurvy in their trip, the American Indians recommended that the uh, people eat the adrenal glands of the deer. Now these explorers typically thought that the Indians were savages, so the concept of eating the, this gland from a deer and then being cured was something that was foreign to them. But there is very hard scientific fact in doing this, because the adrenal glands of the deer or of any animal are going to contain high concentrations of vitamin C. So the Indians somehow knew, knew this and had this wisdom that if you were to consume the adrenal glands of the animal, you would cure scurvy because the adrenal glands were high in vitamin C. Very interesting. Vitamin E is important to the adrenal glands from the viewpoint that it helps preserve adrenal hormones from being oxidized. So as the adrenals are making hormones, if you consume vitamin E and you have adequate E, the E protects the hormones from being destroyed so the glands don't have to produce yet more. Vitamin B6 is also important in adrenal function. The B6 helps the adrenal glands regulate 
sodium and potassium levels in your system. Manganese and zinc have often been associated with adrenal function. Uh, manganese has a stimulating effect on the adrenals, a very mild stimulating effect. And zinc is apparently part of some of the hormone production in the adrenals. So they are important and you'll usually see them included in some type of adrenal formulation. The use, the use of licorice to restore adrenal function has been uh, used for many years. It has a, a narrow application. The, uh, the licorice helps preserve the levels of sodium in the body. Um, licorice actually has hormones that are very similar to aldosterone, which is one of the hormones the adrenal glands make to retain sodium. Sodium is very important to the adrenal glands. Salt is a stimulant, a mild stimulant to your adrenal glands. So if licorice contains hormone-like structures which help the adrenals retain the sodium, that's a beneficial thing for them. Problem is that if this is misused, you can create problems. Taking too much licorice can cause a potassium deficiency which of course then would give you edema and high blood pressure and all kinds of other issues. So you don't, want to, you don't want to overdo it. But small amounts of licorice do help the adrenals. In fact, very often uh, people will crave licorice when their adrenals are exhausted. They may not know they're craving it until they actually get a taste of some because it's not the most common thing people would think of just as to crave. And when I refer to licorice, I'm not referring to the strawberry twisters or whatever those things are at the store i'm referring to a real real actual black licorice so the there are many other herbs by the way that have been found to be restorative to adrenal function uh, many of these herbs help to balance cortisol uh, herbs like magnolia ashwagandha uh, there are nutrients like phosphatidylserine. All of these nutrients help regulate adrenal function in terms of its production of cortisol. The adrenal glands are dependent upon proper cholesterol in your body. Here's where the phones will ring off the hook now. In order to produce their hormones, particularly DHEA. Now, at any given time in your body, 80% of the cholesterol that's present was made by your liver. Most people who have cholesterol problems have problems with their liver overproducing cholesterol or their liver's inability to break the cholesterol fully down and metabolize it. Your diet influences your total cholesterol by about 20%. If your body goes into a burnout, what happens is your cholesterol will drop. And if your liver starts to underproduce cholesterol, this cholesterol is not then available to your body to convert into another substance, which is called pregnenolone. Pregnenolone is derived from cholesterol, and it's actually the substance that the body uses in order to make hormones. 
pregnenolone is the base, you could say almost like the mother hormone, that is then used to make all the other hormones. So if, you are, if your cholesterol is too low and your body lacks adequate pregnenolone, your body can't make thyroid hormones or adrenal hormones or reproductive hormones or androgen hormones or any hormones for that matter. So the one thing that all hormones have in common is they all start from pregnenolone, which starts from cholesterol. One can take a pregnenolone supplement in order to, to sort of jumpstart this process. If you, uh, you take some pregnenolone and then your adrenal glands start producing hormones and the other glands start producing hormones, that will usually stimulate the liver to start making a little bit more cholesterol so it can be converted to pregnenolone and then the cycle goes on. But pregnenolone would be a legitimate supplement for the adrenal glands. Of course, subluxations can also hurt the adrenal glands. This is something that you would see a chiropractor for. But having any type of physical anomaly which throws your spine out of balance in a way that would adversely affect your nervous system and the nerves that lead to the adrenal glands is a, bit, a big problem. And a, a good chiropractor who's familiar with applied kinesiology can usually help by adjusting your spine or your entire body and also giving you mus uh, muscle exercises to specifically strengthen the muscles that are involved with the adrenal glands themselves. That I'm not going to get into today because that's out of the scope of my practice technically. And I'd rather have the people who are expert in that go over that with you if, if you need to have that. But it should be said here and acknowledged that chiropractic and massage and acupuncture are all legitimate forms of modalities that could help one's adrenal glands and help restore them in addition to the nutritional side which I've discussed today. Well, there you have us, folks. I hope this has been informative. It certainly is extremely valuable data. And it's impossible to restore someone's health from candida unless you spend a good deal of time correcting their adrenal function. Because as I said before, the adrenal function is the function which is most apt to collapse on you when a person has candida. And we did get a question emailed in today. And the question is from one of our patients. And they're, uh, oh, I see. The, this is interesting. In the, there's a home urine test that we use at the Biamonte Center for patients who are in phase three of our program. And this home urine test measures levels of ionized calcium vitamin C, and chlorides in the urine. This patient is asking how this urine test relates to adrenal function. Well, this is a, a good question. This is a good thing to take up so other patients listening in may have a better understanding of their, the, the meaning of the home urine test. Chlorides are elements 
found in your blood, found in your system, which are controlled by the adrenal glands. If the chlorides are elevated in the urine, that's generally associated with a hypermobilization of adrenal activity, meaning that your adrenals are being mobilized due to stress and your adrenals are being highly engaged due to stress. On the Biamonte urine test, a chloride level between 7 and 10 would be considered normal or ideal, and that would reflect normal or ideal adrenal function. If it goes above 10, it would indicate your adrenals are hyper. If it goes below 7, it would indicate your adrenals are sluggish, and that's more typical that we find people initially with scores of like 3 and 4 on their chloride tests showing that their adrenal glands are exhausted. The ideal level, as I said before, is 7 to 10. So that's what you're seeing when you do the phase 3 urine test and you see your chloride level. You're looking at your adrenal function and the correct level is between 7 and 10 on that test. All right, folks, thank you very much for listening. I hope this has been very informative, and I hope you will keep this in mind in your journey for correcting your health and candida. You cannot overlook your adrenal glands, especially if you're a candida patient. Thank you for listening in, and we will speak to you again next Tuesday. That's a wrap for this episode of the Candida Chronicles featuring Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. Michael holds a Doctorate of Nutropathy and is a New York State Certified Clinical Nutritionist. He is a professional member of the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists and of the American College of Nutrition, and he's a member of the Scientific Advisory Board for the Clinical Nutrition Certification Board. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330.